Good morning, good morning, good morning. Cable Smith welcoming everybody into another episode of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg Firearms. A little reckless Kelly there for us, getting things going today. Uh, thank you so much for making time to be a part of today's presentation, episode 578, I believe. Wow, it's been a long run, a good run, and I feel like we're just getting started. So what is on the docket for today? Well, I'll tell you all about it. But first, you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley thermos because we are ready to rock and roll. And off the top, we're going to talk largemouth bass. It has been an absolute banner year for Texas bass fishermen. Just lunker after lunker being pulled out of so many lakes across the state. Um, but specifically, O.H. Ivy has had the best year ever uh, if, for any lake not named Fork, right? Uh, but it has been cranking out the lunkers, even a 16-plus pounder, uh, which doesn't happen every year. Uh, but there's a lot of reasons why. Uh, not just Ivy, but Texas in general has had such a great season. Might have a lot to do with that freeze from uh, February, but I'm not going to speculate uh, any more than that because Texas Parks and Wildlife Share Lunker Program Leader Kyle Brookshire will make his return to the show. Uh, he's obviously got his finger squarely on the pulse of our bass fishery. Uh, so we're going to talk about why it's been such a good year. And then some changes in the Share Lunker program uh, since he took over for uh, the legendary Dave Campbell what, three or four years ago now. Uh, but changes for the good. I mean, Dave spent his life's work laying the foundation for the Share Lunker program. And uh, Kyle has just, you know, taken the ball and run with it, so to speak, and uh, for the better. So lots of largemouth talk coming at you here today. Then we're going to shift gears and get into the always controversial topic of caliber comparison. And you might not think that a 300 Win Mag and a 6.5 Creedmoor have a lot in common, but when it comes to the long-range community, they absolutely do. Two of the most popular choices among uh, long-range enthusiasts. But what do you give up from one to the other? Uh, we'll weigh the pros and cons of those two calibers with our friend John McAdams, host of the Big Game Hunting Podcast and uh, respected firearm caliber, well, just basically a gun nut. But, uh, yeah, John is certainly an authority on the topic and has a wealth of knowledge when it comes to uh, calibers. And this isn't the first time that we've compared uh, calibers. I think we did one, oh, maybe six months ago on the 270 versus the 30 out six, which obviously have both been around a lot longer than the 300 Win Mag and certainly uh, the new craze, the, the 6.5 Creedmoor. Uh, but yeah, we're going to talk 6.5s, 300 Win Mags, um, two calibers that I own and, and use frequently. Um, now, that's with a caveat, 6.5. Uh, I shoot certain things with that. But hey, maybe... You know, maybe there is validity to the idea that uh, it's a it's the perfect caliber for North America. I don't know. I tend to think uh, I want something a little bigger, but I do think there's a place for both. No doubt about that. And specifically these days, I mean, 
whatever caliber you can find ammo for is really the right caliber. But uh, anyway, fun stuff coming up with John here at the bottom of the hour. So that's what's on the docket for today's program. I'm certainly excited about it. Hope you guys will enjoy it as well. Um, let's do a quick giveaway. How about a three-pack of Crimson Talon Broadheads? These are what I've been shooting the last two years. And we'll throw in a... What else can we throw in here today? How about um, how about a Havilon knife? We'll do a Havilon Peranta and the three-pack of Crimson Talon Broadheads from a couple of our great sponsors. Just email the word broadhead, that's broadhead, to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com, and you are entered into today's giveaway. Let's knock out a quick break. When we come back, we're talking lunkers with Texas Parks and Wildlife's Kyle Brookshire on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. When the highway called, Mama said, Boy, don't send me no tears back to Wichita Falls. Whether you're headed to the lake for crappie, the coast for redfish, or trying to put your tag on that big gobbler this spring, don't let your truck tank your next trip. Third Coast Diesels does it all. From maintenance to repairs to full diesel rebuilds, any accessory on any truck, doesn't matter. They also do lifts, wheels, tires, hell, you name it. Third Coast Diesel does it. Call David Boone at 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com. With city life seemingly getting crazier by the minute, the thought of moving out to the country is looking more appealing than ever. And Foster Farm and Ranch has been recognized as one of the nation's top ranch brokerages the past two years. They have listings in 22 counties and counting and are truly a statewide entity. Foster represents buyers and sellers from all walks of life. Farmers, ranchers, hunters, doctors, lawyers, investors, and possibly you. You can find them on Facebook, Foster Farm and Ranch, or Instagram, at Foster Ranch Sales. Of course, fosterfarmandranch.com, the website, or call Chad at 830-776-3605. In the market for a compact track loader? Then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at bobcatadvantage.com. Or see Bobcat Machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit BobcatofDallas.com today. There's a little Mickey in the motor cars bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you as always. Thank you for making time for us this week as we're about to get into some largemouth bass fishing with uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife Share Lunker Program Leader Kyle Brookshire. Uh, but before we do that, this segment of the presentation is proudly brought to you by First Light and the Sanctuary System. And uh, we're talking about cold weather here. If you are planning a trip somewhere, maybe not Canada, uh, because they're making you get vaccinated, that's your choice. Uh, but maybe somewhere out west, you've got a, a late season elk tag that you drew. Hey, check out the Sanctuary. 
Uh, I wore it on a trap line trip in British Columbia way back in like 2017. It was 2018. Uh, but temps were below zero every day. Plus, you're on the back of a snowmobile. That is a bit nipply, my friend. So the sanctuary kept me warm, kept me dry. You can find it at firstlight.com. First Light, go further, stay longer. And with that being said, uh, it's been well, it's been quite a, a while, actually, since we had Kyle on the show. But nonetheless, by request, uh, by the way, uh, from one of you guys, it is my pleasure to welcome Kyle Brookshire back to the program. For sure. Thanks for having me back. It is my pleasure. So you've been uh, extremely busy. We've been we've been trying to get this interview locked down for a little while, but uh, you've been running and gunning on the road. It seems like it's been a hell of a year for Texas bass anglers. It has. Yeah. We've had, you know, 23 fish submitted to our program over 13 pounds for our selective breeding portion of that program. And it, it's been incredible. You know, this is the, the most that we've collected and the best season we've had, you know, since 1995. Um, when you compare January, February, March, those three months, as far as collecting lunkers that big for our spawning program, it's, it's been incredible. Yeah. 23. That's insane. Uh, well, good for, for all the, bass fishermen out there i guess the snowmageddon uh really didn't affect the largemouth fishery yeah you know there, there's been a lot of speculation about how that would affect or impact your largemouth bass population and and really what we've seen a lot of you know it, it definitely has had an impact obviously with the the number of big fish being caught and um but not a negative impact like we had like actually had robin rikers on your your uh, saltwater counterpart this week and mm -hmm. we're discussing just the devastating effects that it had on a lot of the trout fishery in certain parts of the coast yeah yeah so as far as you know beneficial to our largemouth or at least in, in a way maybe triggered some instinctual habits in them as you know when that water temperature gets low it starts affecting your forward base um and your, your different types of shad Redfin shad specifically. So mm -hmm. when you have those fish affected by that low water temperature, you know, they get sluggish and some of them start to die off. And so your bass are opportunistic by nature and they're going to, you know, seize that opportunity that's before them. So it, it kind of, I believe it kind of helped trigger some of that feeding uh, frenzy in those largemouth and, and, and really in a way trigger maybe a survival mode for them to, to feed heavier than maybe what they typically have had to in a, you know, a more ideal climate that we've had in years past. Okay. Well, that makes sense. I mean, and these are obviously uh, fish that you can find in, I'm, well, if they exist in Hawaii, which they probably do, uh, you can find them in every state. So cold water probably doesn't have any negative effect on them. Uh, but yeah. Yep. Yeah. It really just, you know, largemouth bass are, are found all throughout the United States and, um, you know, even Northern strain, Florida strain, and then, you know, various integration between those two. Um, so yeah, typically, you know, fish are preparing for spawn, you know, once, when we got our snowstorms and you know, they're kind of coming out of that winter phase and moving into a pre-spawn phase and, uh, they're starting to feed up anyways. And so some, some, you know, weather pattern of that severity would, you know, it seems that it would help kind of push those fish into a heavier feeding mode and, and survival mode in order to, you know, prepare more for the spawn. Yeah. So, okay. You took over for the uh, legendary David Campbell, who has had basically overseen the Sherlocker program uh, since its inception. 
And what year did you take over? I'm thinking like 2017, maybe. Yeah, 2017, 20. Okay. 16, 2017, I'm trying to think. Yeah. So you're only the second person to ever head up the uh, the Share Lunker program. And we've seen some changes in specifically the way that you guys collect fish. I mean, it used to be David Campbell. Oh, there's a 13-pound fish. He's driving to some corner of the state with a truck and bringing, you know, taking that fish back to uh, Athens, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. It's That's not exactly how it goes down these days. Yeah, so uh, definitely I'm on the road a lot, you know, helping with this process, but we've we've tried to refine our collection process to not only help um, expedite transport to our hatchery, but also expedite and minimize the um, the travel time associated with that fish that's in captivity mm -hmm. uh, in between being, you know, transferred to the lake to getting to our facility in Athens. And so we have a response team that we've developed, which includes a lot of our district anthropologists um, from across the state. And we, we basically dispatch each one of those um, who are, you know, set up to collect and transport these lunkers. And, and we basically start them they're the starting point of that process. They collect the fish from the angler and then they meet up with us somewhere on the road to transfer that fish so we can continue taking it back to Athens. And so what that does is really allow us to get in touch with the angler and, you know, transfer that fish, uh, well, I like to say within an hour or two of, of the initial phone call. So it okay. increases, you know, our ability to collect the fish quickly and get it to Athens, but it also drastically decreases the amount of wait time that has been associated with an angler waiting with that fish in captivity before getting it to us. So much more streamlined uh, process there. Um, yeah. Other changes though, because usually, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, but in my conversations with David over the years, we never really talked about fish that were under 13 pounds. I'm looking at the share lunker website right now, and we've got all these different categories, a lunker, we've got an elite, and then we've got a legacy. Uh, can you, break those down for us yeah so you know when i came on we went through kind of an extensive uh, review process of the share program and and its successes and maybe some things that it could do better at and and really a big piece of that you, you probably noticed was the shortened collection window you know it used to be october through april um, and we refined that to be january through march um, and really what our data showed us was that our highest probability of collecting fish was during those three months and our highest probability of having fish that were collected that successfully spawn was in those three months. And so we shortened that window in order to help that process. Um, and it has, it's, it's definitely helped our process tremendously. You know, we, again, we get the majority of those fish there and the majority of those fish do spawn successfully and are returned successfully. Um, so it kind of decreases that extended holding time at our facility before being released back to the wild. And then in addition to that, we, we expanded to collect data, catching genetic data on fish that are less than 13 pounds or that are caught outside of those collection windows. So uh -huh. any eight pounds or 24 inches, largemouth bass that an angler catches, they can submit that catching genetic data to us through a mobile app or our website. Um, it's really easy. You know, you take a couple of pictures of the fish on a digital scale uh, or a measuring board and you submit those within the app. Um, along with, you know, some of the information about your catch. And then that gets sent to us. Uh -huh. So you now, said eight yeah. pounds or 24 inches long. Correct. Yep. It's, it's, that's your minimum requirement for entry is one of those two. Um, so if for, for some reason your scale's broken or batteries are dead, 
you've got a 24 inch measuring board, put the fish on there and it's over 24 inches then you can enter solely based off that measurement. Okay. But st we're still only collecting the 13 pound fish. Correct. Yes. The, all that is, is catch, document, submit, and then release. Okay, cool. Um, anything over 13 pounds January through March is, uh, is loaned at that point for us. And so what if a guy caught a 10.23 out of a private community pond that he may or may not have had, you know, it's kind of gray if he's supposed to be fishing there or not, but, uh, what do I do about my fish? I mean, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as far as Shailarker goes, the only way that a private water entry is eligible is through our legacy class, which okay. is that are loaned for spawning. Okay. Cool. So, yeah. <laughs> um, one, one thing I wanted to ask, ask you, and no, I really did have permission to fish there. I have a buddy that lives in that neighborhood. <laughs> okay, <know>. great. <laughs> um, so, but here's the, and I've told the story on the air, but it's, uh, I'm going to make you probably cringe a little, but I don't care. I caught the fish. I knew it was probably bigger than my dad's. He has like an 8.9 that he caught out of Lake Fork in like 93 or something. Yeah. Back then you killed the fish. I mean, he just, he, you know, he put it in the freezer and went to the taxidermist. Now we take mm -hmm. measurements and photos and give those to our taxidermist. They can make a, uh, a lifelike replica that's going to last a lot longer than the fish would anyway. Um, but um, I knew it was probably bigger than his, so I, I tied it up. Well, first I got the scale out of my backpack because I was bank fishing. Yeah. And I was like, noticed immediately it was like corroded. I guess I hadn't caught a fish worth weighing in years. So <laughs> I was like, oh man, I got to go to get some batteries. So I tied the fish up, went to 7-Eleven, bought batteries. The scale still didn't work. So then I had to drive to Cabela's and... I told them, I was like, Hey, I've got this really big fish tied up. They let me, the people in line were so nice. They're like, Hey, this guy's got a big fish. Let him go. Let him go. So they <laughs> let me, I bought a scale, went back, weighed the fish. It was 10 to seven and, uh, certainly beat my dad. And so, and then I didn't, I wasn't that mad at bass for like two years after that. I don't think I really, <laughs> I had kids. So I was taking them fishing, but I don't really think I went bass fishing for me for like two years. Yeah. Well, it's, that's a, I mean, that's a big fish. So it's gonna be hard to beat that one. Yeah, but it, obviously we I, I released her, and uh, my dad sent me a picture the next day, and he was like, is this where you caught it? And he was standing right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's competitive in this That's family. right. That's yeah. right. Um, okay, so one thing I wanted to make note of, and you said because the collection um, window for Lunkers runs only through the end of March, which I'm looking at your website right now, and that lines up um perfectly because i think the last 13 pounder that was caught because you guys still accept the entries um you just don't go collect them right correct yep we, so so the last two caught were on march 28th uh one mm -hmm. out of tyler east and one out of lake fork and then you get into uh april no more lunkers like share like 13 pounders mm-hmm there's not a single one on here. So I think you guys have it dialed in, um, you know, timing wise as to when people are going to catch these lunkers. For sure. And you know that we, we have some that are pending that probably haven't gone up yet that have been over 13 in April. And that happens every year. We do get a uh -huh. few on April because Texas is so diverse and it's, you know, fisheries. East Texas may be done spawning in March primarily for as far as these large fish goes. West Texas may just be getting ready to, you know, to take the next step in spawning um, as far as next wave of fish moving in. 
um, in April, but by and large, majority of these fish are done by the time that that collection window closes um, or, you know, water temperatures high enough that, that it becomes an issue as far as, um, you know, the health of these fish. And so that's just what the window that really showed, you know, over the 30 years of history at that point, it really shows the best, you know, the best option for us is to close yeah. it in March because again, once we get the fish back to the facility, we do have to hold it for a certain period of time, prep it for spawning, allow the fish to spawn, you know, prep it to be returned. And that all has to be done with, you know, the fish's health in mind. And so that's always a concern there too, but. Right. Okay. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, I want to get into what happens to the fish once it actually reaches Athens and you guys actively are trying to get it to spawn there at the Freshwater uh, Fisheries Center in, in like the size of the tanks too. I'm, I'm interested in all that stuff as well as what in the world is going on with OHIV. It's on fire. We'll get into that after the break. That segment brought to you by Stealth Cam and the Fusion Wireless Trail Camera. Gone are the days of spending a mint on a wireless trail camera. You can pick one up for like 160 bucks. Data plans as cheap as $5 a month. You can find all of that right there at StealthCam.com. We'll be right back with more from Texas Parks and Wildlife's Share Lunker program leader Kyle Brookshire on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. I think I'll have another round, set em up, my friend. Then I'll be gone and you can let some other fool sit down. Our night vision and thermal imaging has been helping hunters light up the night for over a decade now. I've been with them for quite some time. Back in the early days, thermal optics were pretty expensive. You might not realize it, though. The average guy can get into a thermal rifle scope these days very affordably. I've got the Thermion XP50. Absolutely love that scope. It's got a diverse color palette, lots of options to choose from, whether you want white hot, uh, black hot, red hot, you name it. There's tons of options, literally. It's got internal recording as well, and it's got internal and external battery options. So you can hunt all night without having to worry about running out of batteries. You can find the Thermion XP50 as well as their entire lineup of thermal and night vision optics right there at PulsarNV.com. Spawn is right around the corner. Your reels have been re-spooled, and the tackle box is ready to roll. But the question is, can your truck handle another season of pulling your boat in and out of the water every weekend? Call David Boone at Third Coast Diesels. He'll make sure your truck is not what sinks your next fishing trip. Offering a widespread array of diesel parts and services, call 214-326-1176 or visit thirdcoastdiesels.com today. Up this morning, before the sun, fix me some coffee. Oh, Robert O'Keen bringing us back. Of course, it had to be five-pound bass since we are talking big bass today with uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife Share Lunker Program Leader Kyle Brookshire on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Uh, we're going to get back into that conversation momentarily. However, this segment is proudly brought to you by All Seasons Feeders. I've been using their feeders for a long, long time, and my favorite happens to be the 600-pound stand-and-fill. It's so easy. 
gone are the days of needing a ladder or having to stand on your tailgate. No, you just stand on your own two feet that God gave you and you fill up the damn feeder. It's that easy. You can find the 600, the 300, or like the 1,000-pound stand and fill if you're feeling real aggressive right there at allseasonsfeeders.com. All right. Uh, Well, jumping back into our conversation with Texas Parks and Wildlife, Share Lunker Program Leader Kyle Brookshear. Kyle, once a lunker is collected and you guys are taking it, you've taken it back to the Freshwater Fishery Center in Athens, what happens next? It's, I, I guess, put it in its own tank and then we'll complete the spawning process right there? Yeah, so at our facility in Athens, we have a specific area called the Lunker Bunker, which was designed and built to house and spawn and rear the offspring of these you know, world-class size fish. And so each fish that gets back to the facility there has its own um, holding tank. And then from there, we actually uh, we, we've attempted to spawn them, you know, many years ago when David and them were in charge of the program, they attempted to spawn them in these, you know, 500 plus gallon round tanks. Um, just didn't seem to spawn well in them. They, they just seem kind of off. And so what we've done is over the years, we've, we found that the, the highest success rate we have for spawning is to actually transfer them out of their holding tank into one of our large, you know, raceway tanks um, and give them a, you know, even larger run, if you will. Um, and so we, we transfer each one of those into their own spawning tank um, and then pair them up with a male in those. And they, they seem to do really well there. We're collecting these fish in, this, in the time frame that they are ready to spawn. So chances are they've already developed the eggs um, and they're just waiting for the right conditions to be presented in order to start that process. Okay. Uh, and you just, fall, you guys you know these lucky stud males out of the, out of the, <laughs> program there which are probably offspring of a lunker at some point in time i'm sure they are these are males from share lunker sponsor they're they're share lunker males essentially <clears throat> now they're not 13 pounds because they don't get that big but right. they are direct descendants from share lunker females that we sponsored our hatchery so we're controlling not only the female genetics that uh, are being produced into the wild but we're controlling the males that, that get in there um mm-hmm. so in the wild you can't control that so you know, when, when some guys are like, well, it's just better to let them spawn in the wild, you know, naturally let their offspring grow naturally. You know, there's, there's a couple of variables that go into that, that are, that are higher, that allow you to have higher success rates in captivity with, you know, what we're doing with the program. And one of those is we, we can control the male genetics to a T. Um, so we know exactly both sides of that genetic strain, which again, allow us to have a higher tie and a larger offspring number that have that genetic predisposition to reach that size yeah well and why wouldn't we because we like big bucks we like big bass and we like big boobs right that's what i always <laughs> say so the bigger the better you know uh <laughs> do what we can all things considered uh you guys are obviously doing a great job um yeah, thank you as far as ohiv well i mean what in the world is going on there ivy has produced lunkers um typically season after season sometimes multiples <clears throat> It's been a hot lake off and on over the years, but it seems like this year out of the, you know, out of the 23 lunkers, I don't have the number from Ivy off the top of my uh, head here, but I'm sure you, you've got that information. Yep. So we had 12 share lunkers from Ivy that we collected this year. That's got to be a record for Ivy. It is. It, it actually ties a record from, I believe, 2011 or 2010. Uh-huh. We had kind of another season like what we're seeing now. So it's, it's kind of repeating itself, uh, which would you know lead any anglers listening to this that may be trying to plan their next bass fishing trip it would lead you to believe that 
next year, Ivy will produce similar results as to what it did this year, um, just judging by its track records and, and the number of quality of fish that have been caught there. And really, you know, that, that lake has kind of gone through a cycle. Um, you know, I've obviously experienced some droughts in previous years. And then, then in, in 2018, um, you know, it, really over the past 10 years, it's started to slowly fill. And then in 2018, it caught a ton of water, I think about 30 vertical feet um, of water. So the lake, you know, doubled in size. And uh, oh wow! And you, you get basically a new lake effect. So all that, you know, vegetation that's been growing where the water used to be, um, you know, when it, when it recedes like that, you, you get a whole lot more new growth around the shoreline. Um, and then when that fills and is inundated with water, it creates that new lake effect, new lake effect, which just booms your fertility of your lake and, and everything flourishes because of that. You know, your, your forage species flourish and therefore your predator species, you know, they, they feed heavily um, and they you know, tons of food. So there's not as high of a competition for that. And that's, that's one of the things that has uh, attributed, I think, to the number of lunkers we're seeing this year being caught. Um, you know, I think that lake is at a very healthy point, um, but we do, you know, we do intensely manage that reservoir. Uh, we have intensely stocked it, you know, in, two, in 2010, we stocked it with Florida bass genetics. We stocked it with Sherry Lunker, Florida bass genetics. Um, so we have intensely managed that reservoir. Um, and then, you know, for those lakes that, that rise and fall pretty dramatically like that one, when you get a little help from mother nature and it fills up that much, it really just kind of gives a shot in the arm to all those quality components um, of that reservoir. So that term new lake effect is, is something that I've heard uh, over the years, many times. And you know, that, that typically, regardless of where it happens in Texas, that means, you know, you're going to see a lot of big fish come out of that lake. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, and I would say you're going to see an extremely healthy population of fish. Um, and it, it may be a few years, depending on where those fish were, like, for example, you know, a 16 pounder is not going to be 16 pounds before uh, this new lake effect takes place, but it's also not going to be 12 pounds before the new lake effect takes effect. So, yeah. uh, you know, the fish have to be, they're not going to gain four pounds in, in just a few weeks, right? So, um, so these fish were in the water body. Uh, and then you know, once that water uh, level rises, it allows them to have unlimited forage essentially um, because of that new lake effect. And, so therefore they're, they're able to, to achieve that growth potential they have that much faster, right? So right. you've got to have the genetic capabilities to get that big. You've got to have the habitat. You've got to have the regulations and management from, from our guys. And then they also have to have, uh, you know, a little help from Mother Nature doesn't, help, doesn't hurt anything. So, Sure. So what's the deal with um, like Lake Fork historically? I, I, I know it's produced lunkers this year. It produces lunkers every year. Actually, if you look at the, let's see, like 600 and something share lunkers that have been entered, I bet you 45% of them have come from Lake Fork. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It might be 50%. But no, you're right. You're, it's, I think it's like 45 and a half, almost 46%. So that's incredible. You're talking about almost 300 of the 600 or so uh, share lunkers. What makes Fork just keep turning out giant fish year after year? Yeah, I think it's the same thing that, you know, we see with, with Ivy. Uh, we've got great management. We've got some of the best fisheries biologists in the world that are in charge of managing reservoirs. Um, we've got great regulations. We, we do great habitat work, and we have great genetics. Um, you pair all of that with, you know, an, angling, an angler constituency that wants to see, 
you know, largemouth bass succeed in all of our public water bodies and, and to really have that partnership between the anglers and the agency to achieve a common goal. I think, again, you're going to see things like that continue to happen. Um, you know, Lake Fork is kind of our crown jewel of fishery science and management. Yeah. So we have obviously the slot limit on that lake, but we, you know, we, even in the beginning that where Lake Fork is, was stocked strategically with Florida bass genes, pure bass genes, uh, and to grow up ponds before the lake was ever inundated with water. So in the process of construction. And so again, you have really rich farmland in East Texas. Uh, and then once that lake is filled, you have a new lake. And so therefore your new lake effect happens. And so your boom fertility, your regulations, your management, um, abundant habitat, abundant forage, and then proper genetics just create, you know, this mecca of bass fishing, of big bass. Yeah. yeah. So, and you continue that over time. And, and obviously Lake Fork has come and gone as far as numbers is produced on an annual basis, but that's just because like cycle, you know, they age, they deteriorate and their fertility kind of decreases compared to what it is in the very beginning. Yeah. And, and when the water level decreases and that new vegetation grows back around what, what used to be the shoreline and then it fills back up um, again, you have another new lake effect. And so you have a boom in fertility in that water body. Yeah. Okay. Well, it's like my favorite place to go um, for sure because of its proximity to where I live and the mm-hmm. odds of catching uh, a share lunker. Uh, no doubt over the years, it's just, you know, legendary. Um, what about as far as the biggest fish that's been caught in Texas this year? Uh, well, the two biggest, I believe, I don't know if Mark Stevens, well, Ethel, which was Mark Stevenson's bass the, that started it all, right? Um, mm-hmm. was like 17-something, I believe. Yeah, 1767. Until, yeah, and Mark's, Mark's actually told that story on the show. Heck of a nice guy. He was a, uh, yeah. a fishing guide down there, and that's kind of what kicked off the Sherlunker program because I knew it was like in the works, but I think like it got rushed to the forefront when Ethel was caught. Um, yep. Yeah. And so, yeah, I got strategically launched quickly. <laughs> right, right. And then she'd go to live out her days in at the original Bass Pro Shops in Missouri. Uh, millions of people actually got to see Ethel there. Um, but then Barry St. Clair was crappie fishing on Lake Fork in like 94, 92, or maybe 92. Mm-hmm. And he ended up catching an 18-something. Um, I've, I know that I saw at least one 16-pounder's been caught this year. Mm-hmm. Is, is that the biggest fish that we've had come in in 2021? Yes, it has. Yes, yeah, just under 16 and a half, 1640. Wow. So, uh, yeah, very big fish. Um, that's the biggest one we had this year. It's the biggest one we've had in several years. You know, we've had lots of 13, 14, and then, you know, a handful of 15s. We've actually had a lot of 15s this year in comparison to previous seasons. You know, the number and quality of size of these, you know, share lunkers has, has been above average this year for sure. I mean, five new lake records and 10 separate water bodies that submitted a fish this year. It's just incredible. Yeah. And so where, where was the 16 pounder caught on them? That one's from OHIV. That was okay. the first one that was caught. Uh, and then it just kind of, as anglers inundated <laughs> the water body, um, yeah. you know, we saw plenty more come out of that afterwards. So, so two more questions. Uh, number one, do you think there is a 19 pound bass in living in Texas waters right now, which would be a new state record? Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, number two, what is your favorite 
largemouth bass recipe? <laughs> uh, I mean, I guess you could probably consider it any, I like to eat crappie. So <laughs> yeah, they're uh, kind of one and the same as far as flavor goes. But. They are, they are, they are, uh, they're delicious. I, I don't keep them out of public water, but you know, um, it's like whitetail management. When you go and you fish a stock pond and every, every single fish is the same size, um, you know, you need to keep some. And there's uh, certainly the misconception that bass are not good to eat, which is fine. Um, but I would say everybody, if you, regardless of where you're fishing, if you catch something that's four or five pounds, you know, throw it back, eat the, eat the little ones if you're hungry. Yeah, you got to have, have harvest for good management. So even in our public water bodies, harvest is essential. To- okay. Well, and that's good to hear coming from you. I I've obviously threw you that, that question is more of a joke than anything else. But, um, <laughs> yeah. There are, you know, there is a, what is it, a five fish limit? Or is it, is it a lake-wide, uh, lake-based? deal as far as limits are. yeah it'd be based on reservoir but yeah okay right on well good so. stuff kyle i certainly appreciate your time today uh it's great catching up with you it's it's been uh something you know i've been i keep seeing all these press releases and all these giant fish coming out of ivy and it just seems like 23 lunkers it was time to get you back on the air and yeah uh, yeah certainly enjoyed For sure. it. i appreciate you having me you know and i, I wouldn't want to leave the show without letting you know that we are um, on the edge, like cutting edge side of our genetics and, and, and we're running genetic profiles and we've actually determined lineage exists between several of these serilunkers that have been caught throughout the years, spawned at our hatcheries, and then we've taken that offspring, stocked them into our water bodies. So, uh, you know, this year, this, this information hasn't been publicly released. So you're kind of getting a, a golden goose egg here. <laughs> awesome. Some, we have some serilunkers, uh, one of them from last year that was caught uh, it's actually the fifth generation of a Sherlocker number nine that was caught, you know, 30 years ago. So holy moly, of connection that that we've had where Sherlockers were caught. Sherlocker nine was caught, spawned at our facility. We stocked his offspring. We got another one back, and we did that five times. So wow, it's pretty incredible what what we're starting to see as far as five generations. Five generations, yeah. That is insane. Yeah. Wow. Well, thanks for leaving us uh, with that little nugget. That is great stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so stay tuned. We'll have that genetic information posted soon. Cool. Well, thanks for doing what you guys do for our uh, Texas bass fisheries. We certainly appreciate it. So thank you. Okay, take care. All right, bye. Kyle Brookshire, Texas Parks and Wildlife Share Lunker Program Leader. Always interesting stuff uh, when we get to visit with Kyle. That segment of the show brought to you by First Light and the new Foundry Obsidian Pants taking the uh, original obsidian to the next level it's got knee pads completely revamped pocket systems and uh vents as well so you know keep that sweating to an absolute minimum plus when you do sweat that uh, merino wool it's gonna wick it away you can find the entire foundry lineup right there at firstlight.com first light go further stay longer coming up next 300 winmag versus 65 creedmoor pros and cons for each with our good friend John McAdams of the Big Game Hunting Blog right here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Lonely 
there's something nostalgic about the old-timey general store, and that's exactly what you're going to find in downtown Goldwave, Texas, at the Mills County General Store. They're licensed FFL with rifle, pistols, and shotguns, ammo, gun accessories, hunting accessories, deer, corn, and attractants, sporting goods. They've got a wide array of knives to choose from, plus insulated apparel for both work and camo for hunting season fishing supplies they've got foods like anchor tea grass-fed beef dublin sodas gourmet sauces and a whole lot more also ace hardware from wall to wall they have it all check it out the mills county general store right there in goldweight texas hi brett jepson here with three curl lease connection i'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of texas best dove hunting just minutes outside of dallas we have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season including milo wheat sunflower and cornfields leases come in different sizes and prices so we can fit anyone's budget we have the lease that's perfect for you and your group we don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come please visit us at threecurl.com and click on leases for your property listings that's t-h-r-e-e-c-u-r-l.com I pledge my allegiance to the original way. They might take all my money, but they ain't never gonna take my guns away. It can't change my ways. I know who I am. Oh, yes, that's something you don't understand. There's one of my favorites from Whiskey Myers bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show, presented by Mossberg Firearms, our very own. Uh, Whiskey Myers, by the way. I'm Cable Smith. A funny little story. It had to be seven, eight years ago. Uh, the boys from Whiskey Myers were coming to the studio at the old house, and they could not get the tour bus down the the, the narrow one-way streets in our old neighborhood. Uh, so they had to uh, revamp and go park at the local church, the neighborhood church there, and I had to go pick them up in the parking lot. And bring them to the studio in my pickup. Uh, Good dudes, though, and certainly one of my favorite bands. Um, Thank you guys for being here today as we're about to talk some calibers, actually compare a couple very popular calibers among hunters here in 2021. One that's been around for a long time in the 300 Win Mag and another that's kind of caught on and really become, uh, I'm not going to say it's a fad. Uh, the 6.5 Creedmoor is certainly effective, so not not really a fad, but um, yeah, no, it's a fad, right? And hey, I have one, so I'm, I'm in that community as well, uh, but certainly use it for certain things and, uh, and use my trusty old 300 Win Mag for other things. And there's nothing wrong with that. Both are great. Uh, but the 6.5 does take a lot of flack as far as folks making fun of it, right? Uh, and who knows why that is, but uh, certainly I enjoy seeing the the memes about the old 6.5 Creedmoor personally. makes me giggle. Uh, but John McAdams, host of the Big Game Hunting podcast and the Big Game Hunting blog, is here, and he'll jump on momentarily. Uh, but before we dive into that conversation, this segment, Proudly brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. I'm a proud member. I encourage you to check out SCI as well because when it comes to protecting your rights as a hunter, when it comes to educating oftentimes the non-hunting public on why sustainable use hunting is conservation, nobody 
does more and nobody delivers more effectively than SCI. You can find us at safariclub.org. Well, let's go ahead and bring on our next guest, uh, making his return to the program, John McAdams. Great to have you back on, man. Cable, it is really good to be here again. Uh, great great to be back on the show. I was looking through my notes to see when I was last on, and it was uh, February of 2020, and it seems like that was five years ago that I was oh, on your yeah. show last. <laughs> that was uh, like right before the world lost its mind. <laughs> That's right. So much has happened uh, <laughs> between then and now, man. <laughs> oh, my gosh, yeah. Wow, the good old days. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Um, have you had any uh, opportunity to get into the turkey woods this spring? Nope, but I'm actually getting ready to go out this weekend. I'm going up to the Gila, New Mexico, for Merriam's turkey. So oh, wow. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I want to elk hunt there uh, for sure. <laughs> well, so it's funny that you mentioned that. I was elk hunting there this past October, and uh, I, I shot that. an elk there. And uh, while I was there, I saw a bunch of turkeys. I was like, ah, I'm going to come back here in the spring and uh, have a go at these. Right on. Now, I can't remember if you had uh, drawn a tag or if that was like a private land deal that you you finagled. Yeah, I drew a tag up there. Okay. Yeah, I just got lucky and drew an early rifle tag. And, uh, you know, that's the nice thing about New Mexico is that uh, it's all completely random. There's no points or any of that stuff. And so, well, you're never guaranteed to draw anything, especially if you're just kind of starting out. You don't have any points. Mm-hmm. That's a great place to be applying because... Uh, yeah, you got you got the same same odds of drawing as someone yeah. that's been putting in for twenty years there. Yeah, which I think makes those people crazy. But I've I've drawn uh, three times in New Mexico and have killed two bulls so with a ar- archery. And, oh, good deal. Uh, yeah, I love it. Yeah, me too. Well, today we're going to compare two widely popular cartridges in the three hundred Winchester Magnum and the Trendy six five Creedmoor. I guess the most obvious question is why compare these two? Because I mean, you can get like a 200 grain bullet. For example, I shot my moose with a Hornady 200 grain bullet, uh, six, five Creedmoor. What I think you can get into the like mid one forty somewhere in that range. Uh, so clearly different, um, you know, weight when you're talking about grains, uh, knockdown power. So, why are they similar? Like, why do we, why do we think these, this is a good comparison? You know, it's a really good uh, question. And, you know, I just get into these different comparisons really just to, I look and I see what's popular and I write mm-hmm. about what people want to know about. And that's the right. stuff that I research because you're right. Like they're just two totally different uh, cartridges that are um, in, in almost totally different worlds, not quite to the same extent as say the 223 versus the 308, but it's right. still, there's a big gap in between them. Yeah. There was also a little bit of uh, some rumblings around there for a little while in various corners of the internet, like you see that, oh, you know, the 6.5 Creedmoor is just like the 300 Win Mag, but uh, just with less recoil. And mm-hmm. uh, looked into that. And, uh, you know, e- even before I seriously looked into that, I knew that that was not the case, but I wanted to see where that idea came from. And so I really uh, dove into it. And in addition to all of that stuff, they're all, they're both just su- such po- popular cartridges and yep. they get talked about so much that I think someone that was say new to hunting, and there are so many people that just bought guns for the first time in the last year that mm-hmm. they may honestly not know any better. You hear people talk about the six, five Creed more in the, in the 300 wind mag and gosh, you know, which one do I need? So, uh, that's kind of why I dove into it. Yeah. Well, they're not, you know, completely different because they're both extremely popular within the long range uh, shooting community. So mm-hmm. I think 
typically you're going to see 300 win mag. You're going to see 6.5 Creedmoor in either 7 mag or 308. I mean, those are seem to be the most popular and 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 300 and 6.5 I think are at the top of that. You know, I think more people are shooting those two than uh, than any. So obviously, uh, from a long range standpoint very comparable as far as um, the flat trajectory you're going to get from from both of them uh sort of right the the 6.5 creedmoor definitely does very well considering that it's a short action cartridge Mm -hmm. so the so what does that mean define short action sure so in the shooting world what you have seen is um a lot of the ammunition and cartridge development has uh, basically gone into different categories where you're trying to um, create a cartridge that fits within these constraints uh, that's, that gives you the best performance that you can. And those constraints are usually built around what the most popular rifles are. And so you go way back to the early 1900s, the 30-06 took the world by storm. And so you had a bunch of rifles that were designed to use that 30-06 size cartridge, which is 3.34 inches long. And over the years, a bunch of uh, cartridges have been developed where they're similar in overall size to the 30-06. So you can use them. It's a very simple process to just say, rebarrel a, you know, existing model that was in 30-06, modify it a little bit and boom, you got a 270 or a 25-06 or something like that. And uh, that was a kind of a manufacturing um, shortcut that a lot of places took uh, to make rifle production cheaper and uh, faster. And so you just build a, And so what we've seen over the years is a bunch of cartridges have come out that are, say, a standard slash long action cartridge like the 30-06. And the 300 Win Mac is one of those cartridges. Uh, in the 1950s, when the 308 Winchester came out, it is quite a bit shorter than the 30-06. It's about a half inch shorter. Instead of 3.34 inches long, it's 2.86 inches long. And so the uh, you saw a bunch of cartridges like the 243, the 7mm 08, whatnot, that were designed to fit in rifles that were originally designed for the 308. And this then on kind of like a... the, uh, the post-World War II Magnum craze, where that I yep. was reading your article. Uh, mm-hmm before having this discussion and uh yeah i guess those magnums all came about uh, post-world war ii uh quite a few of them and uh the 375 h and h is where uh, i guess that cartridge is where a lot of these stem from that's exactly right you know so the 375 h and h uses a larger diameter case than the 30 out six and it's also longer the the uh, 375 H&H is a 3.6 inch case. So it won't fit in a 30-06 action. It needs a longer magnum length action. Um, and so Winchester and Remington decided, okay, let's create a bunch of cartridges that use that larger diameter case, shorten it a little bit so we can fit it in say the Winchester Model 70, uh, the standard length action. And then when Remington developed and launched the Remington 700 in 1962, they made the seven millimeter Remington Magnum, which also used a uh, shortened uh, 375 case neck down to seven millimeter. Uh, so you can use it in that same rifle as well. All of them were giant commercial successes. And so you have this deal where you can use a uh, rifle that was originally designed to use you know, something like the 30-06, um, put a little bit bigger uh, bolt face on it to use that larger diameter case. You can put a whole lot more powder in it, and then you could really launch these bullets quite a bit faster. And so 
like you said, the seven millimeter Magnum, the 300 Winchester Magnum, the 338 uh, Win Mag, all of those bullets, all those cartridges came out around that time and just kind of took things to the next level after, uh, after World War II. Yeah. I found it um, kind of amusing that, so 1962, Remington releases the seven mag, which I love, mm-hmm. I love seven mag, a uh, huge fan of that. Uh, yeah, a lot of people do. Good yeah. cartridge. And so a year later, Winchester's response was, okay, we got to have something to compete with the seven mag. And that's where you get the 300 win mag. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, so on our last discussion, we were talking about the 30 out six and the 270. And I, uh-huh. yeah, I told you that, that the, the world record grizzly bear was killed. I want to say it was the 1950s by a guy using a 30 out six. And you're like, well, it's interesting. He used the 30 out six and not the seven mag or the 300 win mag. I was like, well, it, they didn't exist right, right. <laughs> at the time. Guys in the 19, the early fifties like that didn't have a lot of options uh-huh. other than like the 30 out six or the three, seven, five, but man, things changed real quickly in the late fifties, early sixties with all of those new cartridges. Yeah. And so the 300 win mag, um, was kind of like a second generation because we had the, uh, the 338 Winchester come from the 375 H and H. And then we have the 300 win mag come from the, uh, 338 Winchester. Yep. That's okay. right. So there's the evolution of the, the 300 win mag, which I much like the seven mag quickly became a commercial success. Yeah, definitely. You know, the, the 264 Win Mag, the 458 Win Mag, and the 338 Win Mag all came out, and they were all pretty successful. And then the 300 Win Mag came out last of the Winchester Belt of Magnums, and it just blew all of those cartridges away in terms of, um, of popularity, because it really just kind of struck that balance where uh, it was very suitable for use on bigger game, like an elk or a moose or something like that. You could yeah. use heavier you can use a lot of the bullets, say, in that same weight range as the 30-06, but you can push them a couple hundred feet per second faster. So you have a little bit fa- uh, flatter trajectory. They hit quite a bit harder at longer range. You know, not a tremendous difference, but, it, you know, it was definitely an edge. And uh, But at the same time, the cartridge wasn't so powerful uh, that you couldn't use it on deer or pronghorn or anything like that. It was available in the Winchester Model 70 rifle, and then Remington eventually offered it in the, in the 700. So you had good, reasonably priced rifles that it was available in, a lot of really good ammo that was reasonably priced and easy to find and all that stuff. So the the, the situation was set up real well for success for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the 300 Win Mag too. Um, I, I, I had a 7 Mag before I had a 300 Win Mag and so kind of fell in love with the 7 Mag. But now that I have one of each, um, I'll be lying if I say I didn't grab the 300 Win Mag more often than not. Uh, I love, I love it. I mean, even like I've taken it just whitetail deer hunting. Like it's it's certainly overkill for a Texas whitetail deer, but, um, I'm comfortable with the gun. I, you know, I have, have ammunition for it. That's another Mm -hmm. factor these days. days. Uh (laughs) And, uh, I like the, I like the animals dead, like right there. And I know if I shoot them with the 300 wind mag, they're not going far. Um, but, so there's the background of the, the 300. Let's talk about a much newer cartridge and the other one that we're discussing today in the 6.5 Creedmoor, which I believe, I mean, I think I first start, started hearing about it, kind of took off uh, in the 2000s. But um, what, what is the, the history behind this uh, 6.5? Sure. You know, for a long time, the 308 Winchester was one of the most popular cartridges for long range precision shooting. And it still is still great. Cartridge I remember, I remember exactly where I was. I was pronghorn hunting yeah. and my buddy, um, Glenn 
brought out a 6.5 Creedmoor, and I was like, hey, what is that thing? And he's like, oh, dude, it's this great new caliber, you know? <laughs> and it seems like here we are 15 years later, and we're still, still talking about this great new caliber. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, so like I said, you had the 308 that was great for long range, uh, uh, long range precision shooting. Mm -hmm. uh, Dave Emery and Dennis DeMille of Hornady and of Creedmoor Sports decided in right in that time frame you said 2006 was when they started working on it and it was released in 2007 formally okay. by uh, by hornady where we want this cartridge well it might that, have been 2008 um, then whenever i yeah we were right you know well, like, like you said you know um yeah, somewhere you know, that there. 2005 to 2010 time frame yeah um we need this cartridge well, i want a new cartridge that is um has less recoil than the 308 less wind drift and a flatter trajectory, but you can use it in a, in a uh, short action, um, short action rifle like that. And so um, they kind of put their heads together, decided, you know what, we can modify this uh, 30 Thompson center case, which uh, wasn't a real big commercial success itself, but used as the model for the 6.5 Creedmoor, neck it down to 6.5 millimeter to shoot 0.264 inch bullets. And so they ended up coming in, developing this cartridge that's got a pretty large case capacity for its overall size, but it still fits in a short action rifle like the 308 and cartridges descended from it. And it was specifically designed from the very beginning to use really long, heavy, high ballistic coefficient bullets um, that didn't intrude into the powder co column. And they designed the rifles from the beginning to use a relatively fast one and eight inch rifling twist to stabilize those bullets. Okay. Now, last time we talked, we talked about the 270, and one of the problems that it has is that it uses a 1 in 10-inch rifling twist, which was great for the 1920s and 30s, but there's a lot that's kind of um, constrained the cartridge over the years, where you, it's harder to find really high VC bullets for that cartridge that'll be stabilized by that 1 in 10-inch rifling twist. Mm -hmm. Well, newer cartridges, the 6.5 Creedmoor is an example of this. They decide, you know what, from the beginning, let's use a really fast rifling twist. And so we could use those high BC bullets and, and kind of remove the, uh, some of those constraints that some of those older cartridges had. And it did really well for what it was designed to do. Great um, long range precision shooting cartridge. It had all, it checked all of those boxes that they wanted from the beginning, better than the 308 in terms of trajectory recoil, wind drift, all of that stuff. You know, a typical load for it, 140 grain bullet at 2,700 feet per second. So not eye-popping ballistics, but um, it has, it's capable of great accuracy, mild recoiling, and those high BC bullets retain energy pretty well, and they resist wind drift really well. And we, we can talk more about that. It actually yeah. does really well um, with the wind, much more so than you would think with a little cartridge like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, I mean, obviously the aerodynamics of the bullet that stabilize it in wind that's right you know so uh there's there's several different factors that go into trajectory and uh wind drift a uh, bullet weight heavier bullet mm -hmm. uh faster bullet and a more aerodynamic bullet all those things in one way or another they will uh have the bullet slow down less fast and they will be a little bit more resistant to wind drift um, than a lighter bullet, a slower bullet, or one that is identical and a little bit less aerodynamic. And it's interesting that, um, you know, when I dove into my comparison with this, the 300 Wind Mag and the 6.5 Creedmoor, um, the, the 300 Wind Mag retains a lot more energy and it has a much flatter trajectory, but uh, their wind drift is almost identical. And in some cases, with some loads, the 6.5 Creedmoor actually 
uh, drifts a little bit less in the wind uh, than the 300 wind mag. So it's, you know, that's definitely one of the strong suits of that cartridge. And as, uh, you know, as Ryan Kleckner would say, you know, anybody can be a sniper um, if it weren't for the wind. You know, that's one of the really, really hard parts of, of shooting at longer range like that. And a cartridge that is more resistant to wind drift um, makes uh, it a little bit more forgiving of wind or range estimation errors uh, like that. So that's definitely a plus. And that's one of the reasons why it did so darn well with long range precision shooting and yeah. continues to do so. Well, I, obviously that factor. And then, I mean, if you go to the range and shoot a box of shells to, you know, get familiar with the 300 wind mag, you're going to feel it. Uh, mm -hmm. 200 grain bullets. I mean, yeah, you, your shoulder is going to, it's going to take a, a thumping. Uh, six, five Creedmoor. I'm thinking about letting my eight-year-old shoot it. So yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're exactly right. You I actually know, so just got I shot my uh, suppressors for the first time yesterday, and mm -hmm. I mean, it basically made. I took the seven mag and I took the six five, and it made the seven mag feel like a two forty three, and it made the the six five feel like a two two three. I mean, it uh, it was a game changer, and I wasn't even thinking about letting an eight-year-old kid that weighs fifty five pounds uh, shoot the six five, but now. I mean, he's already on a 22-250, and it's certainly, I don't think he's going to have any more recoil than that. Uh, so. You know, the the stats are going to vary a little bit with the exact rifle that you use and with the exact uh, am ammo that you use, but uh, the 300 Win Mag has about 150% more free recoil energy than the 6.5 Creedmoor. So it's no comparison between them uh, in, in, in that area there. You know, it's well, it's big as difference. I was uh, getting ready for my Cape Buffalo hunt in February, I mm -hmm. shot a box of 375 Ruger. I was begging for the 300 Win Mag. <laughs> <laughs> I, that was the first time I ever woke up the next day and was like, "Oh man, that doesn't that doesn't feel so great." Uh, yeah, and, but... and that's you know, it's, a, it's a good point, right? And so one of the one of the uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? One of the big advantages of the 6.5 Creedmoor that people that really like the cartridge brings up is that you know it's all about shot placement, right? And, mm -hmm. and to a certain to a certain degree, they're correct. Uh, because it recoils less, um, and you know, there it just has such a reputation for accuracy that ammo and uh, gun manufacturers seem to be a pretty diligent with their products with the 6.5 Creedmoor. Mm -hmm. And so, it's a cartridge that's very easy to shoot well. And the fact that it recoils um, has such mild recoil means that, like you said, you know, it you can shoot a whole lot more rounds of ammo out of a 6.5 Creedmoor. Um, without it feeling like uh, you're just getting punched in the face every time you pull the trigger compared to, especially like you said, a three, seven, five Ruger or something like that, yeah. that uh, it does tend to really facilitate good shot placement. And, and like I said, it's one of the advantages of the cartridge. No doubt. And having shot both quite a bit, uh, I can attest to that firsthand. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll discuss other pros and cons like barrel life and then uh, hunting applications as well. That segment of the show brought to you by big and J Whitetail Attractants, you can find their entire lineup, including To Die For, right there at BigandJ.com. We'll be right back with more on the 300 Win Mag versus the 6.5 Creedmoor on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show.
Hey guys, Cable here for Quiet Cat, the leader in e-bikes made specifically for overlanding, hunting, fishing, and remote access to the great outdoors. Quiet Cat provides outdoor enthusiasts a means of portable, low-impact transportation while providing you with the most reliable products on the market. I own a Quiet Cat, and it has surpassed all my expectations. It's an amazing machine that stealthily gets me wherever the hunting or fishing adventure takes me. Based out of Eagle, Colorado, Quiet Cat is able to put all of their products to the test, making sure your e-bike is built to last. Visit QuietCat.com or call 970-328-2399 for more info. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Barkeep asked me what'll it be. I said, what you got? He said, well, let's see. We got Lone Star, PBR, Rolling Rock, Shinerbach, Moose, Drew, Oduels, Heffenbison, Ziegenbach, Keystone, Coors Light, Coors, we got Red Stripe. Amstel, Amsterdam, and the Talkin', Michelob, Miller, I get us by the pint glass, Doppelbach, Lager, take his waller, cause it's going fast, Oatmeal, Stout, and a lot of line and Kugels. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show presented by Mossberg Firearms. A little Zane Williams there for you. And this segment is brought to you by Mossberg Firearms and the Patriot lineup, whether it's a 300 Win Mag. Or a 6.5 Creedmoor, something bigger, like a 375 Ruger, or a 22.250. Like Henry Shoots, they've got something for everybody, youth models, you name it, Vortex combos, you know, if you want to scope on there. Uh, these are hardworking, reliable, and rugged rifles. It's the Mossberg Patriot, and you can find it at Mossberg.com. All right, with that being said, we've still got John McAdams of the Big Game Hunting blog here with us. Let's talk barrel longevity. I don't know that the uh, the average hunter like myself or probably you will ever wear out a barrel uh but i think it's got to be something to consider when you're talking about um these calibers that long range shooters really have an affinity for like the uh, 65 or the 300 wind mag yeah it's a good question right you know the once again the details vary on that but both of these cartridges are known for being rough on barrels if you're going to be shooting them a lot like you said your average hunter you know, probably you and I probably aren't ever going to burn out a 6.5 Creedmoor or a 300 Win Mag cartridge. But if you're uh, really putting some serious rounds down range, like a lot of competitive shooters do, yeah, it's definitely something to keep in mind. Right? Barrel life depends on the quality of your barrel, um, how rapidly you shoot uh, shoot it, and if you're letting it cool between shots, all of that stuff. And it's also a ratio of um, the bore diameter versus how much powder you're burning in it. So if you're burning a lot of powder in a real small bore diameter uh, or just a lot of powder in a bigger bore diameter, like you are with the 300 wind mag, they're going to burn. It's going to burn out the barrel. I would say that um, probably the 300 wind mag would uh, probably, once again, I've never, I've never burned out a barrel for either one of these rifles. So I don't know, but my guess is the 300 wind mag would probably have a slightly lower barrel barrel life, but with a good one, you're probably going to get two, 3000 rounds out of it. Okay. No issue. Okay. Right on. Um, ammo price and availability is there. So for the hunter who is say new to the, the game here, or maybe they just are looking to, uh, you know, upgrade their, um, their options and they're deciding between possibly the six, five or the 300 for their, you know, 
certainly admirable qualities when it comes to long range stuff. Um, is ammo relatively the same price wise? And have you noticed, I mean, certainly we're in the middle of the ammo craze, like we've never seen before, but mm -hmm. is one more, um, readily available than the other? Both cartridges are extremely popular, both probably, I would say in the top 10 most popular, uh, cartridges, uh, as far as just raw amount of ammo that the big mm -hmm. ammo companies sell for both of them, uh, is Talking with a couple of the companies that I have, it seems like the 6.5 Creedmoor is probably number three overall behind the oh, 223 wow. and the 308. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it is a super, super popular cartridge. And like I said, the 300 Win Mag, that's probably, depending on who you talk to, maybe 678, something like that. So not quite as popular, but still you know, really common. Yeah. Lots and lots of choices for both of them. Almost every company out there makes ammo for them. The 6.5 Creedmoor is probably going to be a little bit cheaper. Uh, than the 300 Win Mag apples to apples comparison, right? You know, Hornady Precision Hunter for each one of them, for instance, or the Barnes Ammo for each one of them. 6.5 is probably going to be a tiny bit cheaper. Um, right now, it's anyone's guess as to which one is easier to find. I would say in normal times, gosh, um, like at my local Cabela's, like the, the, um, they were both always there. Neither one of them are there right yeah, now, yeah. <laughs> of course. Uh, but uh, in normal times, I think there was a little bit more selection as far as just um, uh, different bullet weights, different brands, bullet types for the 300 Win Mag. But, you know, that was where you're looking at, say, 40 options for the 6.5 and 45 for the, uh, the 300 Win Mag. Yeah. Well, it's been around so much longer that, you know, that would make sense mm -hmm. as well. Um, what about let's let's talk about hunting. Clearly, mm -hmm. killing efficiency. I am not one that's going to ever say, hey, let's go take a 6.5 Creedmoor elk hunting. But there are guys out there, and they're all like shot placement, shot placement, shot placement. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's great. I'm not a perfect shot. So if I have a little bit more margin of error because I'm pumping a 200-grain bullet instead of one that's 143 grains, that's what I'm going to go for on a, on a big game animal. Um, what are your thoughts as far as, as that? You know, I mean, th there's guys that, Take the six five uh, whitetail hunting. That's then it's, that seems like it's plenty of gun for that. I shoot. I think so. Yeah. I shoot coyotes. Mine is on my uh, thermal right now. Uh, mm -hmm. I've got a six five bolt action Mossberg Patriot, and I use it for hog hunting and coyote hunting. It's proven to be a very effective caliber for me for for that application. You know, the six five Creedmoor is. I think it is in that same um, same ballpark as the two forty three Winchester and the seven millimeter oh eight. Mm -hmm. um, you know, like I said, right in between there. I think it is a great uh, deer hunting cartridge. You know, white tailed deer, mule deer, pronghorn, shoot feral hogs with it. Um, it's going to be, like I said, all of the advantages that that comes with it, with the mild recoil and all of that stuff. You could definitely use it for elk, but you know, you got some limitations that are involved in. It. I've never killed a, 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 an elk with a six five Creedmoor, and I know people that do. So people clearly do it. What did you I would shoot tell your elk you with? Three hundred Win Mag. Right. Yeah. And you, so you have, you have one of each. Mm -hmm. Why would you ever take the six, five creed more elk hunting? Uh, I personally would not. Yeah. Uh, the, the reason that someone might want to is that because it has a lighter recoil, uh, you can use it in a lighter rifle that's easier to carry and things yeah. like that. And, and it's going to be still, you know, really easy to shoot like that. Um, if, um, I would say it is a great rifle, say if, you know, you had a kid that drew a youth elk tag or something like mm -hmm. that. And, you know, especially if that's the only two rifles that you had, you know, definitely go with the, the, the six, five Creedmoor uh, yeah. for that. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to sound like I'm passionate uh, too much. Cause like I said, it's great. 
uh, for, I, for I make a habit out of bashing it, but a lot of it's just in, <laughs> it's in jest, you know. I obviously you know, I have one and I like yeah. it, um, mm-hmm. but I just think it, it. I don't think we've ever seen. Well, I don't know. I wasn't around fifty years ago when when these other magnums came out. Maybe they maybe the good old boys were sitting around laughing at all the guys that were shooting uh, seven mags. I have no idea, but it seems like in my lifetime I've never seen such a trendy. Uh, caliber come out as the six five it's like as soon as it was here it's like oh everyone's got to get one this is the latest and greatest and i don't know i think that 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 is what tickles me about it so if you're going to use the six five creed more for something bigger than deer say elk or moose or something like that you need to use say 140 grain bullets you got two really good options actually really three good options for it now 140 grain swift a frame 140 grain nosler partition and the 142 grain nosler acubond um and acubond long range right Use any of those, you know, like I said, those are all kind of the tip of the, of what I think is great for the 6.5 Creedmoor for the bigger stuff, because they're going to penetrate really well, retain weight really well. Um, I would say uh, probably within 250 yards on a broadside or slightly quartering elk, um, it's, it's going to be a real good choice for it. You're not going to have as much of room for error as uh, you would with a, a uh, 300 win mag or even a 30 out six or even a 270 or something like that. Yeah. The, you know, if you think back to, uh, to your grade school math, when you increase the uh, radius of a circle, you square the area of that circle. So you have a 308 inch bullet versus a 264 inch, 0.264 inch bullet. That's a 36% difference in frontal surface area between the 6.5 Creedmoor and the, and the 300 Win Mag or anything else uses a 30 caliber bullet, like a 30 out six or anything like that. So it's going to punch a much bigger hole, destroy a lot more tissue uh, as it goes through. It's going to bleed more, all of that stuff. And it's just, like I said, it's, it's going to cause a lot more damage. Yeah. Um, not to say you can't do it with a 6.5 Creedmoor. Plenty of people do. Um, but like I said, you got those, you got those limitations. And, you know, I'm not saying that, uh, that this, the 300 Win Mag is good for a stupid shot on an elk, you know, where, you know, Texas heart shot or something like that. Yeah. But I will say that you have more um, leeway in your shot angles with it. And you have more leeway with the range. I think it is acceptable to take uh, a shot at an elk with a 300 Win Mag. So for that reason, if I'm, you know, I drew a hard to get elk tag, I'm working my tail off up in the mountains and uh, to get on this elk and I may only get one shot at it. Um, I want to be able to take that shot if I got an elk that is steeply quartering towards me at say 70 yards where I got punched through that shoulder bone to get to the vitals, uh, as well as if I only get say a 350 or a 400 yard shot uh, at that elk. Whereas with a 6.5 Creedmoor, you can do it. But like I said, you're, the range of um, situations where I think it is a really good option is, is much narrower. And there's going to be certain shots where sh- certain shot opportunities where you, I think with the 6.5 Creedmoor, you probably ethically should pass on it, or you're going to be tempted to take a shot where you are at greater risk for wounding and losing that elk than if you would have been using something more powerful like a 300 Win Mag. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I'll be honest with you, when it comes to trophy hunting, uh, which I am a trophy hunter, I, I try to harvest the oldest mature male of the species, which on its face is conservation because you're looking at an old animal past its prime in a lot of cases mm-hmm. or right there at the peak, you know, start, soon won't, won't be long before it's going downhill. Uh, so I don't have any qualms about saying that. And when I'm thinking about that, I, I, dude, I'm front shoulder, front shoulder, front shoulder. I mean, I'm breaking mm-hmm. that front shoulder. 
if a little bit of meat goes to waste, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that because that animal's going down right there and that sure, sure as hell beats losing one or spending a whole day tracking it. Um, yeah. You know, you know, everyone, the, the shot placement argument is, is always one that comes up with the six, five Creedmoor and you and I both agree you know, shot placement, extremely important, but like you said, you don't always make a good shot, right? Mm -hmm. We're all human. We make mistakes. Um, sometimes a gust of wind blows the bullet a little bit. Sometimes the animal takes a step right as we're, as we're squeezing the trigger. And, you know, there, it is just a fact that in those cases where you get a marginal shot on the animal, um, you know, a bigger and more powerful cartridge is going to be better than, you know, something that was kind of marginal to begin with. Like, like I said, the six, five Creedmoor on elk. Uh, now, if you're like shooting a white-tailed doe, obviously that's a little bit of a different situation uh, for me personally, anyway. So mm -hmm. I don't mind shooting those, uh, you know, vitals. Um, my son is—he's uh, turned into a little neck shooter on his uh, on his whitetail. So, but he's shooting a going back to calibers. He's shooting a twenty-two two fifty. So mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to shoot anything in the front shoulder with that caliber. Um, so, yeah, you know, with a real high velocity light bullet cartridge, uh, a cartridge that you know, uses a very light high velocity cartridge like that, you know, you hit the, hit the front shoulder blade. Yeah. It might just blow apart right there in the shoulder and maybe not even reach the vitals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think we've pretty much covered it all. Both great calibers. I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, I'm not bashing the six, five. Um, I like it. It's a good caliber. I think when um, I think my son is gonna love at some point taking that thermal scope off of that and making it his hunting rifle. Um, you have something else cool though that I wanted to give you the opportunity to mention here. Um, as I was reading the article on your website, you have got a free ebook that I believe covers probably this topic and many other uh, caliber comparisons. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, definitely. You know, so. Like I mentioned earlier, you know, these caliber, uh, caliber slash cartridge comparisons are super popular. And I get lots of people that, that look at that stuff on, on my site and, you know, cause it's very interesting, right? Everyone loves good, uh, caliber debate, which one's better than that one. And I know there've been so many people in this last uh, year that have bought, uh, firearms for the first time, just getting into it, or even people that have been into it for a, a long time, you know, veteran hunter and shooter, and just want to learn more. So I put together an ebook about, some of the best cartridges for hunting uh, mm -hmm. covers the 6.5 Creedmoor and the 300 Win Mag, among many others. Talks about the pros and cons of each one, which ones are best suited for this sort of hunting versus that sort of hunting. So go to huntingguns101.com and you'll get an opportunity to sign up, get that free ebook. Then after you sign up, you will also get the opportunity where you can take things to the next level. Um, a cartridge comparison like this is great, and it is, I think it is the excellent starting point for a discussion of, okay, I got a big hunt coming up. What do I need to, to you know, go on this elk hunt in Colorado or New Mexico or, or whatever it is? So like I said, the cartridge is your starting point. Then you can talk about which uh, rifle uh, you need to be using on that hunt, which scope is best for it. Um, the different features on rifles and characteristics, like what do you get by lengthening or shortening your barrel, changing your barrel contour, changing your stock, changing the type of action that you have on the rifle, the pros and cons of all of that stuff to help you get best outfitted for whatever the sort of hunting is that you want to. So, uh, you know, no sponsors or any of that stuff. I just kind of cut right through all the baloney with that and be like, here's the real deal on 
how you need to determine what sort of performance you need for your hunt. And here's how you get it. And additionally, I share a lot of the secrets that I've learned over the years on that are coming in real uh, handy these days on where to find guns and ammo and things like that with the big shortage that's going on. Right. And so and folks can also find your podcast there. Definitely. So go to um, biggamehuntingpodcast.com and you can listen to the Big Game Hunting Podcast. And we talk about uh, cartridge comparisons uh, along with a bunch of other stuff on there. You've been on the show a couple of times talking about your yule guy hunt, uh, your moose hunt in uh, Canada, all of that stuff. So we talk uh, all about hunting. I think all I about left guns. that part of the story out of the Neil guy in, in that conversation. So now, now we got the whole story here. <laughs> you know, the truth is finally coming out six yeah, months later. Yeah. Huh? Well, I, I didn't think it was really relative. I honestly don't think I'd eaten the much of the Neil guy at that point. So I didn't even think about it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I encourage everyone to check it out. Uh, John's got a great podcast and, uh, man, a wealth of knowledge. I'm sure in the free ebook, who doesn't like free stuff. And you talked about, um, you've got a hunt coming up, you know, you're, you're going through the steps of figuring out what gun you need, uh, to take, you know, on that hunt. That's so much fun. I love that aspect of, of, mm -hmm. you know, whether you drew a tag or you're going on a safari or you're going on a grizzly hunt. Um, I, I love, it's like, you know, you get, you get to get new toys uh so getting getting your gun and ammo set up before a big hunt is half the fun for a lot of yeah. people i know oh, I it is it. for me yeah, yeah absolutely <laughs> well hey uh john i appreciate the time man i certainly do and uh, i look forward to our, our next visit thanks for having me have a great day cable well there he goes john mcadams of the big game hunting blog and podcast um if you do go to huntingguns101.com and you purchase that course um, John will offer a free 15-minute phone call uh, just going over how to prepare for your next hunt regarding rifle and ammo selection, logistics, travel, all that good stuff. So just mention that you heard about it here, and uh, he'll throw in a 15-minute call with you as you prep for your next big game hunt. Um, that segment brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. They've been taking care of me for over a decade, whether that's a speckled trout from the coast a white-tailed deer, or an entire African safari. They do amazing work with quick turnaround time. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. Unfortunately, just looking at the clock, we got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to John, as well as our other guest, Kyle Brookshire of Texas Parks and Wildlife. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. So down the road I go, forever onward I know, forever onward I'll go, forever searching.